sorry. All right, on that note, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and pray for Gordy um, and allow everyone to trickle back um, as Gordy speaks. Oh Lord, thank you for Gordy. Thank you for what he's about to share, for what you have spoken to him, uh, what you have spoken to us in your word that we are now going to hear uh, and hear again. Holy Spirit, be with us. Fill us, uh, create in us new hearts that can receive uh, your word, what you have, your, your fresh word for us today. Um, and bring your healing, Lord. Bring your healing. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Peter. Good morning again. And uh, just uh, so enjoyed this morning already. So great to have Alec back uh, leading worship with us. Fantastic. Love you, bud. And uh, just great to have our Tri-City, or our Tri-City, our Strathcona friends with us again. And looking forward uh, to just uh, that celebration on the 28th. Unfortunately, Kathleen and I are in Edmonton, but really encouraging you guys to to, to be there and, and support them. They were just so awesome uh, when we celebrated our 25th last April. So just uh, go and party, party on. Well, we're, we're in a series, if you're just joining us today, called A Good and Beautiful Year. And we're basing that series on the practice that Israel had every seven years of declaring it a Sabbath. And during that year, they would cancel all of your credit card debts. They would, uh, all, all, every slave that went into debt uh, was set free, and, uh, or a person who became a slave because of debt was set free. And the land was given a rest so that they did not plant seed and harvest. What they did was they just let the land grow fallow. And we've sensed that as our year as a church. And so in, a, in about uh, six weeks, Kathleen and I will be going on a pastoral sabbatical for three months as part of this church's Sabbath year. But we really do feel it is something we're going, hello. It, we really do feel it is something we're doing together as a church. And I know you say, Gordy, that's easy for you to say. But um, I believe that the Lord is, is calling us to something uh, very special in this year, and, and as I said last week, there was a prophetic word I received from the BC Vineyard leadership team that just said, fallow is not shallow, that there is something about this year that where God wants to deepen us and, and enrich us. There's, they have found um, in uh, uh, the agricultural uh, sciences that to give a soil a rest enriches it. It it uh, reduces the need for herbicides and pesticides, and, and there's a natural cleansing and healing for the soil. And that's what we're really trusting God. We believe that, that this Sabbath year is preparing us for a new season of fruitfulness and health, where growth is healthy. You can have unhealthy growth, and uh, you can get too big. How many know human beings should grow to a certain size, and then they should stop? Um, <laughs> And I think it's true of churches. I think it's true of communities. So sometimes because we're unhealthy, we don't discern 
when it's time to multiply, when it's time to send, when it's time to release and to give away so that more healthy growth can occur. So today I want to talk about stopping as an act of vulnerability and trust. And I want to start with a disclaimer. This is probably going to be, I want to talk about Sabbath and healing. And this is probably going to be the strangest sermon you've ever heard on healing. And uh, before I start, I should also give the disclaimer that this is PG-14, all right? Um, I thought that would help keep your attention, you know, as we go through this. And my text is a strange one. It's from Joshua chapter 5. But I realize that it's so strange that I better actually give you a little background as to how we end up in Joshua 5. So I'm going to take you to what I call a preliminary text to our text, which is found in John, where Jesus is again in trouble. How many notice that Jesus often got in trouble? You didn't? Does somebody want to help me with this? Yeah, it's just... Oh, see the old guy with buttons. It happens every time. It did work, but... All right. So I'm just going to take you back. Jesus is again in trouble in the book of John. And the context for his trouble is that he uh, was healing somebody on the Sabbath day. And I would like to say he again is healing somebody on the Sabbath day. Have you ever noticed that Jesus not only healed people a lot on the Sabbath day, but it seems like he actually went out of his way. He almost orchestrated his life so that he could just annoy the Pharisees a little bit more. I mean, that's kind of the impression I've got. I don't, I don't think it's totally accurate, but... But it, it seemed like he would go out of his way. And I believe that Jesus was trying to demonstrate, as something I just said, that Sabbath, Shabbat, which, which means, what does Shabbat mean? To stop. Stopping is hand in hand with healing. And it makes sense. As I just said, Sabbath in the Old Testament was canceling debts. It was restoring land every 50 years, that was lost through debt. So if you and your family inheritance lost land through debt, that land was restored to you. So Sabbath was about healing. It was about restoration. It was about deliverance. I don't know. I, I still have some Pentecostal in my background, and I just can't say deliverance without saying deliverance. Sorry. Um, you understand, bro. <laughs> so, uh, so Jesus, went, you know, he set people free. He cast out demons, he, people that were bound by Satan and all kinds of sickness. Remember the guy with the withered hand? He's on, it's on the Sabbath day. And he could just feel the animosity of all the religious leaders as 
as they see this guy who's very prominent, and Jesus would actually single sick people out. Did you ever notice that? He'd actually call them out and call them up and put them in front of everybody. And it's like he would look at them and say, what am I going to do? <laughs> it's like, it was, and they're kind of going, we dare you, you know, and he's going, what am I going to do? And it's like this standoff, right? He brings this guy, and I don't know if he got it caught in a threshing machine or what happened to his arm, maybe he got some kind of flesh-eating disease, but all it is is this useless stump, right? And Jesus stands the man in front of the crowd, and he asks a question. See, sometimes in our spiritual, spirituality, we, we, we're asking the wrong questions. And they think, they're asking the question, is it right to heal this guy on the Sabbath? But Jesus asks them a question. He, he turns the tables and he says to them, should I save a life on the Sabbath or should I destroy a life? Should I heal someone on the Sabbath or should I kill them? He just totally turns that around. And then he says to the guy, and again, the Pentecostal in me comes out, stretch forth <laughs> your hand. Stretch forth your hand. And it says he stretched forth his hand, so now he's got the guy working with him. Right? And he stretches forth his hand, and it's instantly healed. Probably my favorite Sabbath story is the story of the little lady that was bent over. And it says she'd been bound, this Luke specifically comments that she was bound by Satan for 18 years. Now, you probably would have taken an x-ray of her back and a doctor would have said, well, her, her spine is fused, no wonder, or she's got curvatures or some kind of medical condition. But Luke says she was bound by Satan, that even though the physiological effects may have been there, that behind that was a spiritual power that was binding this woman's. Satan hates humanity. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come to give life. And so he, I don't know, this little lady, in spite of the fact that she'd been bent over for 18 years, she was probably a grandma, or she, but she, could, she longed for the day she could, she could pick up her little ones. But she still came to church. She wasn't bitter at God. She still came. And Jesus sees her, and he again calls her up to the front. And he, he speaks, it says he puts his hands on her, and he said, be loosed from your infirmity. And she is instantly healed. She stands up straight. The synagogue leader gets mad, tries to chew Jesus out, says there's six other days to be healed, not the Sabbath. And Jesus says, which one of you wouldn't take your ox who's thirsty and give them a drink? How much more this woman who is a child of Abraham. I mean, incredible gender stuff is being blown out when he said that. This woman who's a child of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham. How appropriate it is to heal her on the Sabbath. Because Sabbath is about healing. Sabbath is about deliverance. Sabbath Amen. is about Restoration. Amen. Love that. So those are two stories. The third story is the context of our, of our first text today. 
where Jesus comes up to a man at the pool of Siloam who's been trying to get into the pool every time the waters get stirred up for healing. It's kind of like Lourdes in France. Every once in a while, the waters get stirred, and the first person that gets in, it's, it's a competition. It's all turned into competition, winners and losers. Somebody gets beat, somebody wins. Jesus comes up to the guy and says, do you want to get out of that world? Do you want to be free from that world? Do you want to get well? Sabbath is not only about healing, it's about challenging you about how long do you want to befriend your sickness. We had this cute little homestay named Ara. A few, uh, just talked to her on the phone last night through Coco Talk. Have you ever heard of that? It's an amazing little app. You can talk to anybody around the world on the phone, free of charge. But she, she, she was born a preemie, and so she was the cutest little thing. She always was a little bit kind of uh, fragile, and, and she often had a cold. And she said her friends teased her and said, cold is your boyfriend. Cold is your boyfriend. So do you want to break up with your boyfriend? Right? It's kind of what Jesus is saying to this man. So, because sometimes our whole identity and life can surround our sickness, where to give it up is not a good thing. And Sabbath, when you stop, the Holy Spirit comes and he begins to challenge us about, will you be made whole? You, you've stopped long enough to realize, maybe I don't want to live this way anymore. But it hurts to part. There's withdrawal that goes on. And the man gives a big wine story about never being able to get into the pool in time, and Jesus interrupts it, and he says, rise, take up your bed, and walk. So not only is, the, is, is Jesus working, in fact, I don't think that is work, to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk, and somebody jumps up, that's not work, sorry. That's not work. The guy that had to do the work was the guy that got healed. He had to pick up his bed, and he's the guy that got in trouble. Didn't he? Remember? They were giving him so... So he said, then he blamed Jesus for it. <laughs> right? So it's this big blame game going on. And so this is the argument. And it's two chapters later, people. This is John 7. This happened back in John 5. They're still arguing about the theological ramifications of healing somebody on the Sabbath. And Jesus is saying, hello, what about the man? What about the person here? You're having your theological dialogue and ethical discussions and we do that with so many issues. We just, well, is this right? Is that right? And we forget the people that are in our midst. That the arguments affect. And they're further marginalized. So it's in the context of this that Jesus says some really strange things. In this argument... The man's been healed, but Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now what he's saying there was, the rule was, every eight days after a boy was born, a Jewish boy was to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant and so sometimes a boy was born on Friday. And if a boy is born on Friday, that means he's going to be circumcised on eight days later, Saturday, Shabbat, right? And they thought nothing of it. They said, well, that's just appropriate. But then he says this, this is so interesting, verse 23. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath, 
so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Which is interesting, because he's saying, not only is it by rote, right, to circumcise a boy on the eighth day if it falls on the Sabbath, but he's somehow connecting healing, Sabbath, and circumcision. What's that about? What's going on? There was a view in the Jewish tradition that the act of circumcision on a boy was an act of cleansing and healing, and it was an act of, of covenant, of course, with the, with the people of God. So, in case you're getting nervous, let me just say a, a disclaimer again, that circumcision was a ceremonial act in the Old Testament with males only, and it was, it was done away with as unnecessary. In the, in the New Covenant. Paul said, we are the circumcision who serve God by the Holy Spirit who boasts in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So there's a spiritual circumcision that we, we embrace in the New Covenant. So in case some of you guys were getting nervous, just wanted you to know it's okay. Um, so the beginnings of the circumcision, I want to talk about this a bit. It's probably my least favorite topic, being a guy, to talk about. But I think it's important because it does, it is through Scripture. It's, it's, it's there. So why is that so important? You know? And you'll remember the context where it was introduced, and this is, by the way, why it was even in Egyptian culture, the, the practice of circumcision on males. But God had called Abraham he, when he was still a Gentile. He was still from Iraq, some, some part of Iraq, or the, that part of the Middle East uh, today, and told him to leave his country and go to the land that is now where Israel is, Canaan, and that in, in that act of obedience, he would bless him and make him a blessing and make a great nation of him. He was about 75 years of, of age at the time. Sarah was 65. The context is it's now tw almost 25 years later, 24 years later. It's, it's, he's 99 years old, no kids. Right? So he says to God, uh, is that kind of just, was that supposed to be just a spiritual promise or is this for real? So God comes to him and tells Abraham, listen, Abraham, the promise is still intact. In fact, it's so sure that your name Abram, which means exalted father, is going to be changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations, because Abraham, kings and nations are going to come from you. And so there's, first of all, a sense of a context of covenant where God uses covenant with Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to do this, and I want you to know that I am your God, and you are my people. Covenant language is belonging language. It's this kind of language. I belong to somebody. All right? Covenant language is saying, for better or for worse, it's saying that there, there's, there's a mutuality and a sharing that, that, that goes on where God assures Abraham that he's for us and not against us. He's on our side. He's got our back. He belongs to us. Once he assures Abraham of this covenant that he's made, he says, Abraham, there's only one thing I want you to do in response. It shouldn't be that hard. But it was an act of trust and vulnerability, the act of circumcision. God said to Abraham, I want you and all the males in your household to be circumcised. 
By the way, female circumcision never appears in Scripture because there is no such thing as female circumcision. There's female mutilation. That's all there is. So this was pretty much an ultimate act of trust and vulnerability for a male for a number of reasons. I mean, I don't need to explain it too much, but, but you got to understand back in those days, prisoners of war were castrated and made slaves. So it was not uncommon for this to happen. And so it looked similar, but it was oh so different. It was about belonging in love, covenant with God. It was the most vulnerable part of the body that a man had to become vulnerable with. A man can do many things with other parts of his body. He can build, he can construct, he can dig. He can, with his feet, he can go somewhere. But this is the only part of the body of a male that can produce life. It is the part of a man that is, it is the part that a man most instinctively protects and covers. Just ask the athletes. And where he is most, it is the part where he's most intimately joined with a woman. And there's a layer of skin that a, a boy is born with that is unnecessary. It's not necessary to keep it. Neither is it necessary to remove it. It's just unnecessary. It's just there. However, to remove it is painful. It requires accuracy. You want somebody that really knows what they're doing? You want it to be somebody who likes you? Kind of like your dentist, right? Oh, similar, even more so. Um, and then you have to give it a, a period of, of recovery. So doctors did it. Women did it for their children. I mean, it was, it was just an act of, uh, that was part of the culture. It was an act of vulnerability and trust because the, the word for circumcision is passive. Be circumcised. Don't circumcise. Be circumcised. So it was allowing someone to do it to you. Allowing it to be done by someone else. And God said to Abraham, anybody who's unwilling to do this, ironically, was cut off from community. Isn't that interesting, that word? That, he uses those words. If you're not willing to submit to this act of vulnerability and trust, then you will be cut off from community. In other words, the, the prerequisite for joining community is vulnerability and trust. So it became the mark for a male Jew that, that they belonged to God. Kind of hard to check them out. Uh, drop your drawers, boys. Let's see if you're in or out, you know. But it was the mark of the covenant. But probably what was most significant about this act of circumcision was the days that followed. Because you were required to stop. As a male, especially an adult male... If you were circumcised, and Abraham was at the age of 99, it meant you kind of just said, we're not going to be doing much for the next few days. And you see how this relates to Sabbath? There was a cost to this vulnerability and trust to give yourself a period of a few days of painful recovery. You became weak, defenseless, helpless, unable to move. You asked your boss for some time off. 
It's an interesting story that a man, a powerful warrior, a, a strong man, could become as helpless as a little infant. Uh, and there's this story in the book of, of Genesis where uh, Dinah, one of Jacob's daughters, was, was maybe date-raped or raped by uh, a, a Gentile man in, in, the, in the city of Shechem. And, of course, it caused a lot of conflict with the families, and they're trying to work it out. And Jacob's, Joseph's brothers, Jacob's sons, go to, the, go to them and say, the only way that, that you can ever have her as your wife is you all have to be circumcised like we are. And, of course, they, got them, they, said, they, they agreed to that. The whole, all the men in the town became circumcised. Then two guys went and just wiped the whole town out. All the guys were just totally vulnerable and and help us. Bloody scene. The Bible's interesting, by the way, if you ever thought you might like to read it. It is very interesting. It'll keep you awake at nights. So it's, it's the context of this act of vulnerability and wounding and stopping and recovery and healing that we come to this story in, in Joshua chapter 5. This is our text. And the context is that the people of Israel, led by Joshua, the young leader, have crossed the Jordan River by a supernatural miracle. The Jordan River was so flooded that they needed kind of like another Red Sea kind of miracle, where the priests stepped into the river and the water parted, and they crossed over. And here's what happened, verse 1. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast, heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over. Their hearts melted in fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Now, these were powerful, powerful armies for that day, chariots and horses, and legend has it they were giants, gigantic human beings that occupied these cities, but they heard that Israel, who had been kind of wandering around in the wilderness were not able to come because of the, the Jordan flood, so they were kind of in this false security and confidence. But all of a sudden, they heard about this miracle, that this whole nation had crossed into the land, and they were absolutely terrified. They were paralyzed with fear. Now, you would think that this would be the time for Israel to strike. This would be the time for them to occupy the land they're on a roll. They have momentum on their side. Their enemies are intimidated and fearful and disoriented and disorganized. Let's get them when they're vulnerable. And God's battle plan was? <laughs> At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeah Haraloth. You can look up the meaning of that name in your study Bible. Interesting name. Verse 4. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. For so some reason through attrition, Israel stopped the practice of circumcising in the wilderness. So the question is, why does God ask Joshua to do this now? They could have done it in the wilderness. They could have done it before they crossed the Jordan. You know, giving themselves some days to recover and get strong again. 
But God waits until they cross the Jordan and they can't run back into the wilderness and the giants are right there. And then he says, let all the young men be circumcised. And by the way, these were not your type B type characters. You know, there's type A and type B personalities. Type A are the take charge, go get them. Grab the bull by the horns and take charge. They're the go-getters, the ones we praise. They get the accolades and the praise of our hurry-driven, competitive culture. They're aggressive, proactive, and decisive. They don't wait for life to come to them. They go after it. And they often excel in whatever they do. Type B people are, they kind of let life come to them. But who was affected by this? It was the type A'ers. It was the young men, the warriors. There was a lot of testosterone here. They were a fighting age. And they represented the sum of Israel's strength and protection. And God says, do the deed. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So here they are. Can you imagine? They're going, oh my goodness. I hope that the Jericho and these other cities have not sent spies or we're in big trouble. Let's read on. All the people that came out had been circumcised. This was from Egypt. But all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died. Since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Now there's different conjecture as to why they stopped circumcising in the, in the wilderness. One theory is that when you were out there, you were constantly on edge. You were constantly on the move. And you never knew when that cloud would move. And so there wasn't the time that was needed to, to actually uh, do that as an ongoing practice. They, you know, if they could have set one date where everybody had done it, that would have been different. But people, children were always being born. And, and, and so for whatever reason. So that's one theory. Another theory that I have is that Moses hated the practice. Remember, he didn't want to circumcise his son, and he almost got killed for it. And his wife had to come and do the deed on his son. And it seems like Moses had this Egyptian aversion, aversion to, to the practice. And he's saying, he's kind of like, God, really? Really? There's another possibility. You remember that the Lord said, you guys, you spoke your destiny into existence. You're not going into the promised land and I think sometimes when you lose your vision, when you lose your hope, the whole idea of covenant just starts to become meaningless. Why, why bother? Why, why? So disillusionment and despair set in. But then when they saw God cross, lead them across the Jordan, they have a young leader named Joshua. God speaks and says, it's time to renew this, this covenant. So here's what happened. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. You've heard circumcision enough today. It's going to just compensate for the next five years. You won't need to hear it again. It's all packed into today. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to this, to Joshua, 
Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now I want to read verses 8 and 9 again. Look very carefully because this this applies to us as a a Sabbathing church this year. Verse 8. And after the whole nation had remained, had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. That, my friends, is a description of Sabbath. Sabbath is letting God wound you and waiting till you're healed. Now, why would God ever wound us? Why would he do that? Well, why do doctors wound us? How many remember the story I told a few years ago about this little sliver off my fence post I got in my finger? And I kind of got the picker and picked it out and picked it some more, picked it some more. About three weeks later, it's still pussing and sore. And I went to see my doctor. I said, hey, can you just get a pin or, so, or you know, a needle and just get, get rid of this? I'll, I'll, I'll take it. He looked at that and he immediately set me up with a specialist, got me in. The specialist uh, gave me a local anesthetic on my hand and I watched as he cut my finger open, opened it up. I could see the tendons. I didn't feel anything. I was kind of enjoying the show. And then he said, see that? And he showed me how the infection had got right into, right into the tendon from the sliver. So he, he gave me a, one of these sterilizing bandages, and, and he, he did some work uh, with antiseptic and sewed it up. And for the next few weeks, I recovered from that. But it was a, it was a surgical healing that occurred. Surgical healing. Um, I don't know if this is an urban legend, but when I was growing up, I was always told about the the stray lamb. Remember the story about the stray lamb in Sunday school? You ever get that story? Remember the little stray lamb? He's always, shepherd saying, come follow me. And the shepherd's, the lamb's going, yeah, but I want to chase that wolf. This cliff looks really exciting. I want to do some cliff diving. And the shepherd finally, as a last act of desperation, because he knows that little lamb is going to die, he doesn't listen to his voice. He takes that little lamb, and this is in a psalm, you hear that about the breaking of the bones, don't you? He broke the bones you've broken. Let them rejoice. In Psalm chapter 51, I believe it is. He takes a bone on that lamb's leg and he breaks it. And that lamb is going, you bad shepherd, you suck. What kind of shepherd? You don't love me. And he takes that little lamb, struggling and fighting, picks him up and puts him around his shoulders. And then for the next six weeks, that lamb heals. And while he's healing, he gets to hear the shepherd's voice. And his little head is close to the shepherd's heart. And when he's healed, he won't leave the shepherd. Everywhere the shepherd goes, he goes. Because he knows the shepherd's heart. He knows the shepherd's voice. So Sabbath is about healing. It's about allowing, voluntarily taking on wounding. Where we, we hear God's question to us, do you want to get well? 
Do you want to step off the rat race? And I, and I hear that question to us today in three, and you may, you may hear more, but I hear three ways where Jesus says, will you be made well? First of all, will you surrender your identity and your security that comes through your talents, your giftedness, your success, how big you are? That's a good one to use with circumcision. Because we are a culture that glorifies growth and bigness and size. Your net worth. Are you willing to surrender that and just find your identity in this like John the Beloved? My identity is this. I'm the one who Jesus loves. I belong to him. I'm a child of the Father. And that's all that matters. That's the first wounding that God asks us to embrace in Sabbath. Will you surrender everything else that gives you your identity and will you find your identity afresh in not what you've, what you've done, but who you are and whose you are? The second thing is that we surrender competition that often feeds into that identity. We're in a world of winners and losers and, and it's amazing the language we use with winning and losing. I beat him in soccer or racquetball. We, I lost the election. We're, we're, we're a culture that's constantly dividing winners and losers. And Sabbath calls us to step out of that into the kingdom of God. Where everybody gets to play, where everybody wins, where there's enough of the pie for us all. And it's hard. You know, there's two new vineyard churches being planted in Vancouver this year. And I'm going, God, this is a bad time. This is a bad time for us to take a Sabbath. We're kind of stepping back while others are stepping up. And if that competition kicks in, you can go into that thinking of winners and losers again, of the pie. You know, sometimes in the summer, we, I, heard, I heard this secondhand. We sometimes close our service, so we just bless you to go to other churches and enjoy them. And I heard back, nobody said this to me, but I heard back, but what if somebody goes to another church and they like that better than our church and they, they go to that church? <laughs> when I heard that, I went, you know what? If you enjoyed the Sunday show there better than you enjoyed here, go. Because we're not about the Sunday show. We're a community, a covenant. We're a family. And if it's if it's... If it ever gets away from that, I'll go find another job. Seriously. It's about covenant. It's about, did you know that, the, and I've heard this from people who visited us from other churches, but there is a unique identity and DNA that God has put in us that can't be fulfilled by anybody else. No matter how big, how small, how big their budget is, no matter how big their building is, there is a, there is a unique DNA and call to this congregation that is unique. It's part of the larger body of Christ, but we're needed in the city, and I constantly get that feedback from people from other congregations, ministries. I got one lady who's led massive outreaches and citywide uh, ministries, part of a mega church in the city. She comes to, visits us every few months, and she says, Gordy, this is one of the healthiest communities I've ever been in in my life. So there's there's... It's, it's just, what are the goalposts? What are the markers? And Sabbath is where you lay down the world system of competition and comparison. 
of winners and losers, and you embrace the reality of the kingdom of God. Is it okay if I talk like this? Pretty quiet. You all right? Or are you still in shock about the circumcision thing? Is that okay? That's what's happening. We have medication for you when you go out the door. Thirdly, I believe that in, in, in a practical way, as we go on the Sabbath, there's, there, there's a sense where we're becoming more dependent on the voluntary offering of people, not on paid staff. Now, we, we want to add a little bit of staffing for the Sabbath, but it's never going to compensate for the hours that I do. And so again, we're embracing vulnerability, we're embracing weakness. But I believe that that is so strategic and significant for the days ahead. That there is a shift that God wants to bring to how we are and who we are as a church that's going to give place for his strength to come. So it's not about focusing on the weakness, the pain. It's about giving place for God's power and God's strength. One of my favorite verses... Of all time, Hosea the prophet, my friend Mario Morello used to say the only Mexican prophet in the Bible, Jose. He says this, come let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. I remember the, reading the story of, of Cho Yong-gi, the, the pastor of the Full Gospel Yoido Church in Seoul, still the largest church in the world. They've had struggles, but still 78, 79 years of age. He had a breakdown when he was about my age, same age I had when I had my breakdown, about 30 years of age. He was doing all the ministry. He was baptizing people. He was, he was healing the sick. He was... And, and, and Korean culture, if you understand their honorific culture, it has to be the pastor that does it all the time, right? And, and he, he broke down. They had reached 3,000 as a congregation, and they broke, he broke down. They had to carry him to the hospital, and he couldn't move. He was immobile in this hospital room. And the Lord visited him in that hospital room, and he said, I'm going to heal you. However, I'm going to take my time because... If I heal you right away, you'll just go back to doing what you did before. And I want to show you a different way. I want to show you a healing way. And so he had to start pastoring from his hospital bed. Wouldn't that be fun? He was pastoring from his hospital bed. And the Lord said, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to give the ministry away to your congregation. But guess what? All the men were too busy. They were trying to get business. You know, Korea, their, their ec economy in 30 years has gone from a have-not to a have-nation, one of the G8. I mean, it's amazing. Amazing. Uh, I'm not sure if it's G8 is the right word, but it's one of those economically powerful blocks. And he, uh, he said, well, Lord, the only people left are women. <laughs> so the Lord said, then get the women. Well, if you're in Korea in the 1960s, you don't do that. It just, it just was so against the grain. But he got 20 women who were willing to lead a small group. And he trained them from his hospital room and gave, gave it away. 
And now, you know, it, it has been the key to, to seeing the life and multiplication and growth. But they had to embrace weakness. They had to embrace just the foolish thing in the eyes of the world. They had to embrace God's surgery. I will heal you, but I will take my time because I'm interested in your ultimate healing, not your short-term comfort. And I had, to, I had to keep reminding myself of that when I was recovering from my breakdown because I was like that little lamb. I was in so much pain. I said, God, you hate me. There's no way that you could love me. In this, by a, I know that you could right now heal me with your nail-scarred hand, and you're not doing it. So either I suck or you suck. There's no middle ground here. I had those kind of conversations. And, uh, but I realized that my, my drivenness and my patterns of not being able to stop were so ingrained. I needed God to wound me. I needed that circumcision of my heart. And it hurt, and I had to stop. But Jesus is asking, inviting us. You know, some of you have been wounded in a similar way. You're sitting here with wounds in your heart, in your life. May have come through family, may have come through money, may have come through your health, your mental health. Those wounds have come. But Jesus is committed to your long term, ultimate healing. Amen. Your eternal well being, not just short term. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken but he will bind us up. And the verse goes on to say, come, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord, for surely as the dawn he will come. And that so blessed me, because I was waiting for him to come like lightning. But he said, no, I'm going to come like the dawn. And the first ray of dawn is hardly noticeable, but it gets brighter and brighter to the full light of day. So, in conclusion then, and everybody here in this church knows that when Gordy says that, it means nothing at all. <laughs> we are, you're halfway there. Can he know? <laughs> exactly. All right. So Sabbath is an act of vulnerability and trust. Basically, you are undergoing voluntary spiritual circumcision when you Shabbat, when you stop. And you stop in the way that God is asking you to do it. Okay, and as I said, it varies depending on the time of life you are in. It varies on where you're at. But it's always costly. Always costly. It's just turning off that Facebook, that internet, not looking at those emails for 24 hours. Whatever season of life you're in right now, what that looks like to you. And it'll be different. It's different for me as an empty nester than it was when I had young kids or teenagers. The Holy Spirit will show you. There's no rules. It's, it's a choreography we give, but then you have to get in the dance. Right? And just let the Holy Spirit show you what that looks like for you. It's costly.
Sabbath is an act of vulnerability and trust in that we allow God to wound us so that we can be truly healed and restored. We allow God to say this, do you want to get well? Do you want to unbefriend your sickness? Your lack of wholeness? Do you want to unbefriend it? Rise up and walk. Stretch forth your hand. Be loosed. Straighten up. Sabbath is about healing, restoration. There's that word, eh, Rose? Restoration. Healing. Cancellation of debts. So, Lord, would you come? Holy Spirit, would you come? And teach us how to stop. Teach us to submit to that act of vulnerability and trust where we, we say, God, we trust you. That we're in your hands, the most vulnerable parts of us, the parts of us that no one else has ever touched, the deep inner parts of our being. We entrust those, those parts of us to your nail-scarred hands, that gentle shepherd's hand, that surgeon's hand, that doctor's hand, the great physician's hand. And I feel like the Lord is wanting me to pray a Sabbath blessing prayer over you. We're going to transition in the next few weeks a little bit. I'm still going to kind of touch on the theme next week to do with finances in our Sabbath and, and for God's provision. But I just felt today, just with the vulnerability and tenderness of this message, that he wanted me to bless you with a Sabbath blessing. And I'm going to pray that prayer in a minute. But before I do... I feel like I just want to open up just if there's anybody that has specific words. Uh, just don't take more than 30 seconds to a minute to share, but just uh, words that, that specifically connect to, to this Sabbath blessing that we're going to pray. I just feel that often specific things will, will um, unleash things. Yeah, just come up if you have, have them. I just had a very vivid picture, and it was to do with a pin cushion that some of us are like, feel like we've been stuck hard over and over again with sharp pins. And the sharp pins just represent critical barbs, criticism. You've been in an environment of criticism, it's like toxic, a toxicity. And that breeds disillusionment and despair. And the Lord just wants, to, it's kind of like He wants to set you free from that toxicity. So I think that would be like a deliverance word. The other one was very specifically uh, to do with God, God's original intentions. Some of us feel like we've made mistakes or we've been detoured into a place where we can't get back to our original calling. And with Will's permission, I could I just have you hold this up? So uh, Will brought this... He's uh, been doing some, I don't know if you'd call it clay work. And um, this week I had a picture of the potter and the clay. The potter is Jesus, who's very patiently working with us. And when there's a mar in the clay, he doesn't throw it out. He just, you know, he reshapes it. So if you have a chance to see this, um, 
later, you'll see that underneath, Will has written the words fortitude, which basically means perseverance in trial. And I think that that's, that's kind of been a, a real word for many of us in this congregation, that God's giving us fortitude, strength, perseverance in, in light of the trial. Maybe it relates to the first word, toxicity. But this, some of you feel like you have been like a balloon that's been popped and shredded, but instead the Lord wants to give you this picture of that you are just this beautiful clay that the Lord is very patiently working on. So that could be that you want to have and you really need to have some strength. You really need the perseverance and the fortitude to continue to go. Anna, did you have something? So I just would love to pray with anybody along those two lines. If, Gordy, you could just, if you need to rephrase that for clarity, I don't know. Yeah, I just want to share a word that actually was given to me years ago by someone, and it, it speaks to that wounding and to the pain. Um, I mean, it was a prophecy that they didn't realize what they were saying, I think, quite, and I didn't realize what was coming. And um, they, they told me, they said they saw, when they looked at me, they saw a heart, and this heart was just torn in two and put back together. And there was a, the wound was visible. It was still there, but it was healed. And they said, that wound is the strongest part of your heart. And I want that to be an encouragement to those who are going through that. I went through my time of that breaking. And I want to speak that to you and over you. There is healing that comes, and that becomes the strong part in your heart. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> I was having a wrestling match with God at the back because um, I don't always want it to be about my head injury that I've had for almost a year and a half now, and God is telling me to be vulnerable right now. So... After my head injury, um, I was reading at about a grade two level, <clears throat> and I have eight years of university. So that was really hard for me to take, and I lost my ability to do basic math, and I lost my times tables, and I lost my job because I, just some circumstance, and it was very angry because I lost so much. And um, I said, Lord, what is the point of you sending me to university five years ago, the unbelievable sacrifice my family had to do to do this, I still owe $50,000 for this. What is the point if you've taken all that away? It's just been taken away, and I was so angry. And so through this process, um, this last little while, I've had four women from South America come and clean my house. And they're from Colombia, and they're from Argentina and Chile. And these women, one's a veterinarian, one is an architect, one is an international journalist, and they're cleaning my toilet. And I said, I don't understand this. And these women said, work is work. And they have a very different identity in themselves than I did. My identity was so wrapped up in my education 
And God is saying, that's not who you are. It's not who you are. It's what you do. And so he has made me very vulnerable, and he's saying, trust me. And I have been wounded by a freak accident, but he's rebuilding me and healing me and restoring the depths of my being in him in spite of this terrible accident. So my math is mostly restored, not completely. I'm reading at a grade 11, 12 high school level now. So he's restoring those things. So I just have to keep saying, okay, Lord, if you want me to clean a toilet, when we're done this, then you have to give me the strength and the humility to do that in spite of having four degrees. So important, yeah, just really where it is. You guys know what I'm going through. And uh, I have the, a growing sense, for me anyway, that uh, the analogy that Gordy used of the lamb had to have its legs broken so that, uh, so that he would learn. And I have a growing sense, might be prophetic, that whatever I'm going through or you're going through, that it may not look good, but it's for your good. May not look for your good, may not look good, but it's for your your good. And I would encourage you to just hang on to that. However God is going to work it out, it's may not look good, but it's for your good. I just hope that uh, all of us who are going through stuff will uh, just come to know that and understand that. Awesome. So good. Mason. Hey. Hey, guys. How cool is that Jesus dude? That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting to hear all the stuff about, like, how people are kind of going through junk stuff. And for those of you who know, um, a couple of years ago, I went through uh, having cancer. And cancer sucks, um, like, flat out. It's just terrible. Um, but it's really cool to see how, you know, you have to go through this process of being wounded to come out and everything be, well, not immediately, you know, as you would hope, but it's, it's nice. Um, you know, I have, I have some friends, and they're not followers of Jesus, and I hope that one day, you know, they'll all come to know Jesus as good as I do, and I'm still learning to, you know, know him more, but it's, it's nice to have been able to grow close to them and just be able to share a little bit with them. I'm not particularly someone who likes to be super pushy praising in your face. I don't personally like that method. Um, but it's just nice to be able to be like, yeah, this is a nice thing you can do for someone. Mm -hmm. So I would just want to say for anyone who's 
not feeling so good, remember how cool that Jesus dude is. Because don't worry, he's looking out for you. So. Yeah. Thank you, Mason. It's beautiful. So awesome. So amazing. Wow, thanks, everybody. Thanks for sharing. Wow. Just such a tender presence of God. I hate to do much except just wait. But I want to pray and bless you with the Sabbath blessing. And if you felt like some of these words spoke to you, could you just stand where you are just for a sec? Just those that felt that some of these words spoke to where they were, they're at. Yeah. And then the next thing I'd like to ask is for all of those who just have sent, are sensing just God's heart for somebody that's around you uh, that stood, if you could stand, just stand with them, just where they are, just be with them. Mm. so important so this this is an act of vulnerability and trust where um, just we're undergoing spiritual circumcision just by I think when someone just responds like this it's vulnerable and I, I you know I have felt vulnerable even obeying God to preach this crazy message um but there's something about that point where the Holy Spirit just loves. He loves to come. And uh, so that's why I kind of did this first. But the last thing I want to ask is if you're here, and maybe those, any of the words that have been given at the end of the message didn't, didn't specifically apply to your situation, but you would like just to receive a Sabbath blessing, I invite you to stand as well. I want to pray for you as well. Just bless you guys to, to the Sabbath. Because the Lord, you know, there's a lot of people that deserve Sabbath more than me. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people in this room that deserve a Sabbath like I'm going to take. Way more than I do. It's not about who deserves it more or who has it coming. It has an is- it's an issue of obedience. And it's an issue of receiving the gift of God to us as a congregation that he wants to give all of us. That if we obey... He will grace us. It's not what we deserve, but it's just opening the door for what he wants to do and what he wants to bless us with. And I've already sensed that blessing. It's already been coming. I want to bless our brothers and sisters at Strathcona just with a real season of joy in their 10th year of just more fruit with less effort. Just more rest. So, Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I just lift up my sisters and brothers before you. and Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of rest. And you said there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. Therefore, make every effort to enter into that rest. Father, we don't know completely what that looks like, but we know that you have us by the hand. And that you are leading us because you are Yahweh Shabbat. 
the God of Sabbath. That even you, the creator of the universe, who are limitless in your power and your wisdom and your might, rested and refreshed yourself on the seventh day. So, Father, in your name, in an obedience to you, I want to bless these people with your rest today. And in the name of Jesus, I want to cancel every assignment and debt, Lord, financially, spiritually, emotionally, physically. In Jesus' name, we cancel the indebtedness in heart, spirit, and in bank account. We cancel the indebtedness, Lord. We cancel the slavery in the name of Jesus, that legalism and drivenness and competition and comparison and religion. We cancel it in Jesus' name. Slaves, go free. Emancipation, emancipation, freedom day, the year of the Lord's favor. We announce the year of the Lord's favor on you. He is your God. You are his people. He is for you. He's on your side. He's got your back. In Jesus' name. And we speak restoration of what the enemy has stolen away. We say, land, come back. Where the, where the cankerworm, the pommelworm, the caterpillar, the locust have eaten away. In Jesus' name, we speak restoration. Let the land be restored. Restoration, healing now, healing, Lord. We pray for healing. Lord, you healed on the Sabbath because you said that's what Sabbath is. We ask you to walk up and down these aisles right now with your nail-scarred hand. Heal the sick spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, in every area where there is sickness. Go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. Loose these people. Let them go. We leave Egypt. We leave Egypt. We celebrate the Passover again. The very next verse after these guys were circumcised. It says they celebrated the Passover for the first time in a generation. We celebrate the Passover. You are the one who died. You shed your blood. You saved us, Lord. We embrace that salvation. That's so great a salvation. We embrace that salvation. Be free in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Be free in Jesus' name. Spirit of God, just fall. Fall on us, Lord. Alec, I feel we're supposed to milk at the times that you're with us. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, thank you, Lord. It's just that was that last verse of that song. I can't remember how it goes, but you are beautiful, my sweet song. You are the one who, who died, my Jesus, who saved me. Those words are just going through my mind right now. Jesus, you're the one. You're our Savior. You're our Savior. We're just going to let this time bleed into just open ministry time if you have to leave you're blessed to leave if you have to get kids you're blessed to do that but I just encourage us to just let this time be messy if you want to come up and get prayer more prayer you can 
or just pray with people. You're doing a great job right where you are. I'm going to do the Cho thing. Just go for it, church. Just release you. In Jesus' name. And just worship. Just enjoy his presence. Just if you don't have to leave, just linger. Just linger in his presence. Grace of God and the love of the Holy Spirit. Communion of the Spirit. Grace of the Lord Jesus. Grace, peace, mercy from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I bless you to Shabbat. Bless you to Shabbat. See?